Is this the speaking microphone? It is. This is the speaking microphone? It is. All right. Can you guys hear me? Yeah. Can you hear me now? Sorry. It's like 10 years too old. Yeah, whatever. All right. I'm tossing that down here. There we go. All right. Um, hi. All right. Well, I think we should pray. And then we'll dig in. Sounds good? All right, sweet. Father, thanks for this night. Thanks for these men. Thanks for these brothers. And Lord, I ask that you would uh, continue your work in us. Lord, that you would see it through to completion till the day of Jesus Christ. Lord, just as you've promised. Just as you've promised. God, help us to remember that in a uh, culture that is so obsessed with performance and accomplishments, uh, that we are called to rest, to uh, confess our neediness, um, to be fully dependent on Christ rather than independent from Him. Lord, would you unite us to yourself? Remind us that the gospel is truly good news. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Ecclesiastes, it's a series that uh, Ecclesiastes is a book that I read every year on my birthday. And uh, some people look at me when I tell them that, and they're like, dude, that is so depressing. <laughs> uh, but for me, it, it helps me um, recenter. And, and, and recalibrate even um, on a regular basis to say, um, am I living meaninglessly or am I living purposefully? Right? And um, for this year, uh, tw 2019 is gone. Right? It, it, it's gone. And so... At the end of the year, uh, you take stock of what's happened, and hopefully you try to learn from it. Okay, so, so the things that happened in, in 2019, um, you celebrate what you can, and you give thanks for surviving the other stuff. And just say, God, thank you for allowing me to kind of get through that. Thank you that it's in the rearview mirror. And I, I think sometimes we lose the wisdom that is to be gained by moving on from that rearview mirror a little bit too quickly. And I know uh, for me, um, as, as Tracy and I talked about 2019, we agreed that we are uh, incredibly thankful to be at South Shore Baptist Church and to be living in Abington. Um, but we never would have chosen this pathway. It was a very difficult pathway. And looking back, um, a lot of that began the day after, on, on April 2nd, the day after April Fool's Day, um, with, with some hard conversations um, in church. And there's no benefit to anyone to get into details, but long story short, over a period of, of six days, my ministry went from just thinking, like, I've been here for 14 years, 
the kids in my youth group, I had seen, I, I was there for when they were dedicated. I had, I had not seen them born, because that would be weird. Um, but I, I remember when, when their parents announced we're having a baby. And now they're in my youth group, and I was like, oh, this is like so cool. I literally get to keep the infant dedication vows that I agreed to in this church. And, and I was like, this is so cool. And in a period of six days, it was gone. Just gone. And so what do you do when... You establish yourself as someone who is respected and trusted. And the other youth pastors in the area lovingly called me Grandpa McGarry because no youth pastor stays somewhere for 14 years. That's ridiculous. So I'd seen youth pastors coming and going and coming and going. And I stood strong. And looking back, it's, it's this honest reflection and moment of saying you know like I, I was a pastor but my was my identity as a child of God or was my identity as a pastor because when you lose that you realize how much of your identity is wrapped up in what you do and I've seen that for many men and women when they retire and I saw it in my dad when he retired of just building this company that he started, just him in a dream, and building it up to be something successful, and then eventually selling it and retiring. And now who am I? And so whether or not you're on the young end of the spectrum or on the older end of the spectrum, I, I think that we can all identify with this, this theme of endgame, right? Um, whether or not that endgame seems far off or not. What is our endgame? Like, are we living... Um, are we living like that proverbial um, bunny chasing the carrot on a treadmill? Right? Like, does that describe your life? Just running, 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 running. You're making great time, but you're not going anywhere. You're going really fast, but you're not arriving anywhere. You're just running, 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 but it's, you're running really fast. And I hope that's not who we are. You hope that's not who you are. No one wants to be that person. And so I think it's helpful for us to look to Ecclesiastes, right? Which was written by um, who scholars call Kohelet, um, which is um, the Hebrew, right? The Hebrew word for teacher pre or preacher. Uh, so depending on what Bible translation you're using uh, or you read, sometimes it says, I, am, I was the preacher of Israel or I was the teacher of Israel. Um, it says, I was the Kohelet, right? I was the Kohelet of Israel. Um, and interestingly enough, and it's kind of funny, like I went through seminary and everything, and I just learned this the other day, um, that the name Ecclesiastes 
comes from the Greek word for Kohelet. It's the Greek word Ecclesiastes. And so when um, the Bible is translated from Hebrew into Greek so that people in the common language could read it the same way that we don't read it in Hebrew, we read it in English. So they could read it in, in Greek. Um, it was the word Ecclesiastes. Kind of interesting. Um, but most scholars um, have traditionally believed that this was Solomon. And I think that makes sense. And I'm going to spare you all the arguments for all the different theories and, and ideas on who Kohelet could be. Um, but Jewish and Christian tradition throughout, throughout history have pretty much unanimously said that it was Solomon. Uh, there are statements that we're going to look at um, this evening and throughout the weekend that I really think Solomon really is the only person who could viably make such statements without kind of embellishing um, things. So when we think about the life of Solomon, what comes to mind? What, what, what comes to mind? What, when, when you think about Solomon, what comes to your mind? Wisdom, wealth, ton of wives and non-wives who he had access to broken family temple money son of David right I mean think about the breadth of things that come to mind when we think about Solomon great wisdom and he built the temple I mean, David, right, the, the, the man after God's own heart, David, who slew Goliath, who was anointed, right, God looks at the heart, where man looks at the outward appearance. David was not allowed to build the temple, but Solomon, Solomon built the temple. And at the same time, he made treaties and covenants with all sorts of foreign powers, that he was not supposed to do according to the law of the Lord. He had wives, concubines, women, like galore, insane. He had more wealth. I mean, like, he broke more laws and he built the temple whose laws he transgressed. And so early in life, generally speaking, they think that um, Song of Solomon, right? That he wrote Song of Solomon when he was young, right? Passion and fury and all that. <laughs> um, he wrote Proverbs when he was midlife, as his midlife crisis, maybe, I don't know, reflecting back on what he was learning. And then in his older years, reflecting back, saying, hey, all you young whippersnappers, Here's what I've learned. I've learned it the hard way. Wisdom means learning from other people's mistakes. Be wise. Right? L learn from my mistakes so you don't have to make your own. And, and so this is, this is Ecclesiastes, right? This is our messenger. And one of his main themes that you're going to hear uh, throughout the weekend has to do with this other, and this is the last Hebrew word I'm throwing at you, I promise. Right? The, the, is this word hebel. Right? This word hebel. 
uh, which means it's like a, a vapor or a mist, right? The, the literal translation is, is like a vapor or like a mist. Uh, so when you go outside on your way back to your cabin and you breathe and you see your breath, that is Hebel. Right? It's there and then it's gone. Right? You can't do anything with it. It's just, it's just there. Right? Uh, but metaphorically, uh, this word was used throughout the scriptures uh, to talk about that which is meaningless um, or the, the CSB translation uses the word empty. And I, I really like that. Uh, because it's, it's something, right? I mean, you can see your breath. You can see the fog. You know, I mean, I, I have friends um, who grew up in areas of the country where we have snow delays. They have fog delays. Because you can't drive to school safely in that fog. And I'm just like, what? that's ridiculous. But it's not safe. So, I mean, the, the fog, it, it's a real thing, uh, but it's just empty. I mean, it, when, as, when the sun comes up, it's gone. And is that what we're living for? Is that the meaning and purpose of my life? I mean, listen to how, how Ecclesiastes begins. He says, The words of the teacher, Kohelet, the son of David, King in Jerusalem, again, who's that, right? That's Solomon. Absolute futility. What a great start, right? What, what, what if Cody got up on Sunday morning and just said, absolute futility. What a, what a start to a sermon. Absolute futility, says the teacher. Absolute futility. Everything is futile. What does a person gain for all of his efforts that he labors out under the sun. A generation goes, a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets, panting, and it returns to the place where it rises. Gusting to the south and turning to the north, turning, turning goes the wind, and the wind returns in its cycles. All the streams flow to the sea, yet the sea is never full to the place where the streams flow. There they flow again. All things are wearisome, more than anyone can say. The eye is not satisfied with seeing or the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Can one look at anything? Can one say about anything, look, this is new. It has existed already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of those who came before and of those who will come after, there will also be no remembrance by those who follow them. Wow. Let's just sing Kumbaya. Right? I mean, wow. Thank you, Solomon. That was a great sermon. Right? That church is going to grow. And yet, it's like, okay, try arguing with them. I mean, just take God out of the equation and like, honestly like look at the worlds and find something new. You can find some thing that stood in its place 
before. You know, change out the word, plug in the new thing, and the sentence still makes sense. It still fits. It's still descriptive. So what do we do about this? And I think this is the key to understanding the book of Ecclesiastes. <clears throat> I think it's this, this phrase of man curved in upon himself. Right? That, that, that man, that we are curved in upon ourselves. Uh, and this is a phrase that, that Martin Luther used to describe the sinner's natural condition. That we are curved into ourselves. That everything is about me, me, me. And so I live constantly looking through this mirror that sees myself in everything and everyone else's story that I come across. And so that we find ourselves living in this selfie world, right? Do you have friends, uh, maybe you, you who are on, on social media, uh, do you have friends who go on these amazing vacations and you're like, oh my gosh, I would love to go to Paris. I would love to go and see the pyramids. I would love to go and, and see these amazing sites. And what pictures do they post? It's like, I know what you look like. Get out of the picture. Right? It's like, they go to these amazing sites and what you see is their noggin. And the cool thing's in the background. Really small. Sometimes they even use like the new uh, portrait mode on their phone. So that way it blurs the background a little bit to make their own face stand out even more. It's like, dude, like... You paid a lot of money to go there. Take a picture of it. If you want to be in the picture, guess what? Your phone won't blow up if it's in someone else's hand. And you say, hey, excuse me, sir. Could you please take our picture? Right? And I know I'm sounding like a curmudgeon. I get it. But like, this, I think, describes the world that we live in. And I think this describes... Um, our condition of us being curved in upon ourselves, right? That, that everything I come across, even like these amazing and momentous occasions, is just a one big selfie. That I am front and center in all of it. And this is how Solomon lived. And if we're honest, this is how we do too, apart from Christ. Apart from the work of God in our lives that says, sit down pick up the towel and wash some feet. It's not about you. So yeah, this person's talking about something. You have a story you could tell to identify with them. Great. Let them tell the stinking story. You don't have to contribute. Just listen and love them that way. That we are curved in upon ourselves. And this is what Ecclesiastes is talking about. And so if you want to live an empty life, I think Ecclesiastes gives a really good how-to for how you can accomplish that. So if you want to live an empty life, here's how to do that. First, you chase what's new. 
Right? We've already read this section. You chase what's new. Because, as we've already seen, it's all Hebel. It's all empty. It's all vapor. So keep chasing what's new. Live for cheap thrills and temporary treasures that can't satisfy. Right? Live it up. Matt, thank you for sharing your story. And it's just, hopefully, we recognize this trap and these, these Hebel treasures before it's too late to make a course correction. So much of Solomon's wisdom is displayed in Ecclesiastes because he doesn't always spell everything out for you. And I love this about Ecclesiastes. Right? That, that he, like a master artist, he paints a picture with words so that you arrive at the right conclusion without him specifically saying, this is true, this is false, the same way that Paul does in Romans. We need both types of books. And, and Solomon paints this picture of the empty life so that we read his, his picture and go, I don't want that. Without him ever necessarily needing to say, hey guys, don't do this. So the second step to live an empty life is to fill your life with fun and pleasure. Right? To fill your life with fun and pleasure. He says in uh, the beginning of chapter 2, he says, I said to myself, go ahead, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy what is good. But it turned out to be futile. Right? It turned out to be hebel, to be empty. I said about laughter, it is madness. And about pleasure, what does this accomplish? I explored with my mind the pull of wine on my body. My mind still guided me with wisdom and how to grasp folly until I could see what is good for people to do under heaven during their few days of their lives. I mean, you name it, he had it. You desire it, he experienced it. And he said, just wake up in the morning with a major headache. Why do you want that? So, I think we all know people who live every day to simply have as much fun as possible. Don't we? Don't say their names, especially if they're next to you. And so, I think we know these people who live to have as much fun as possible. We call them children. But we're increasingly being told that our happiness is the meaning of life. And we are living as big kids in a big world. But our monies, are, our, our toys are more expensive and our games involve a lot more risk. But we're still living just for the pure thrill of fun and happiness. And Solomon sees that. Right? He, he says that he chased all the fun even while his wisdom was still with him. I think that's important to notice. That it wasn't just um, that he went off his rocker and God slapped him and said, fine, then I'm taking your gift of wisdom away. He said, no, like, 
It's probably a worse curse to still have your wisdom even while you're being a complete idiot. And to say, I am ruining my life right now. And I know it. But I'm still going to keep ruining my life right now. You know, and it's not worth it. But when I was a teenager, um, I wasn't very smart. And um, some of my youth leaders took me and my friend Brian on a road trip to the Baseball Hall of Fame. And it was a long drive, and we were camping along the way. And uh, Brian brought a uh, sack, uh, a sack lunch with sandwich and pretzels and an apple. And I was like, oh yeah, look at all this. And I emptied out my pockets and I had like six packs of gum. And I was like, dude. He's like, what good is that? It's like, well, I get to eat the gum and like... Do I want to eat a watermelon? Sure, I'll have watermelon. And then I get to like enjoy the taste of watermelon as much as I want while you're done with your sandwich. And so like, I, like, I don't know, I thought that this was really smart, like truly. Um, because I could enjoy the multiple pieces of gum for a longer period of time. And then I was like, dude, can I have your apple? Because <laughs> I'm really hungry. And, and uh, it's, it's stupid, right? I know, okay? Teenagers do stupid things sometimes. I love teenagers, but like, we don't always think right, right? And you have your stories too. Um, but like, don't we do that? We find ways to rationalize things that are not good for us. And that we know will not satisfy. Like I know that chewing watermelon gum will not substitute as lunch. But we try to convince ourselves, no, 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 no. This is totally going to work. This is going to be fun. It's going to be fun. I know it shouldn't work, but trust me, like it will this time. It didn't work for everyone else who's tried it in history, but I'm different. And this is not a teenager thing, this is a human thing. So if you want to live an empty life, then chase what's new and fill your life with fun and pleasure and find your value through accomplishments. Right? Our world already does this for us. This is what he says. Starting Ecclesiastes 2 verse 4. And I increased in my achievements. I built houses, planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself. And planted every kind of fruit tree in them. I constructed reservoirs for myself from which to irrigate a grove of flourishing trees. I acquired male and female servants and had slaves who were born in my house. I also owned livestock, large herds and flocks, more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. I also amassed silver and gold for myself. Do you notice this word? Right, this phrase, for myself, for myself, for myself. Right, I also amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I gathered male and female singers for myself and, made, and many concubines, the delights of men. And so I became great 
It surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also remained with me, and all that my eyes desired, I did not deny them. I did not refuse myself any pleasure, for I took pleasure in all my struggles. This was my reward for all my, my, all my struggles. Then, when I considered all that I had accomplished and what I had labored to achieve, I found everything to be futile and a pursuit of the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. And so he has, like, everything and says, I was just chasing a tornado. It, it was it was nothing. I was just running through the fog. I was wasting my life. It's empty. Don't do that. And I think this is the biggest lie that so many of us face today. And as as a youth pastor, I see this everywhere. I see this in your kids, in my kids. I see this in our culture. The smart kids are more important than the ones who struggle. The star athlete gets more attention from the coaches and more cheers from the stands than the kid who's on the bench. The honor society student gets the scholarship. And the kid who doesn't go to college is often seen as if he's wasting his life. I mean, this is just... This is just our, our culture. I mean, and, and some of that is like, well, yeah, I mean, if you don't do your homework, you're going to get a bad grade. If you don't do well in school, then why should the college accept you? Or why should that interviewer hire you if you won't do the work to prove that you know how to work? Right? But that like we, we define ourselves by what we accomplish. And then we link ourselves there and say, that is who I am. And I think you are what you do is one of the most dangerous lies there is. Because I am not what I do. I am who God has declared me to be. That is who I am. Because that's who he's making me. That's who I will be for all eternity. That's who I am. That's who you are. Start living into that today. Finally, if you want to live an empty life, then just work for yourself. Just work for yourself. Right? There's, there's the last part of chapter 2. Then we'll look briefly at some more positive and uplifting things. Right? He says, I hated all my work that I labored at under the sun because I must leave it to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether or not he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will take over all my work that I labored at skillfully under the sun. This too is futile. So I began to give myself over to despair concerning all my work that I labored at under the sun. And when there is a person whose work was done with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, 
He must give this portion to the person who has not worked for it, though this too is futile and a great wrong. For what does a person get for all of his work and his efforts? He's just saying, like, look, like, you worked so hard for all of it, you can't even enjoy it all because you were so busy working. Like, what's the point of working all that time if you can't even enjoy what came from it? And who knows who's going to follow you? Right? So he says that you just, you're just constantly working for yourself in this section. You're just working for yourself, for myself, for myself, for myself. It's not about giving. It's not about serving. It's about getting. Get, get, get. Mine, mine, mine. And I think we live like those seagulls in Finding Nemo. Right? Mine, 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 mine. Like, I think that's us. I, I think it's like one of the most insightful things in any movie ever. <laughs> mine, mine. You know, go to the Cape and learn from them. Don't be a seagull. Hate those things anyway. Um, that wasn't in my notes. <laughs> it's just so true. I had to shout it out. Um, so Kohelet uh, is so wise, he knows how to paint this picture, right? So that we can look at this and say, I don't want that. I don't. I don't want that. So uh, instead of living an empty life, how do we find fulfillment? Right? How do we find fulfillment? First, uh, he starts off with giving us his own track record in, um, in the end of chapter 1. And I'm not going to read all of that. But he basically says, guys, I'm really wise, so listen up. That's the Mike McGarry translation paraphrase. Right? He says, guys, I, I know what I'm talking about. I had it all. I'm really wise. Listen to me. This is him earning your trust in the beginning of Ecclesiastes for the next 11 chapters that follow. And it's interesting that he doesn't just come out and straight up say, you should pursue wisdom. He essentially sits back as an old man and says, we're all going to die eventually. There are problems in the world and you can't fix them all no matter how wise you are. Some things will always remain bent and crooked. And the wiser you get, the more you notice the bent things that are bent. This is why he says, the, the, wi the wiser you are, the more problems you have. Right? The more I grew wise, the more troubled I became. Right? I mean, it's like people who think they know everything know very, very little. Because they don't know what they don't know. But when you're actually smart, then you realize how little you really know. But one of my favorite professors said that the larger the island of knowledge, the longer the shoreline of ignorance. Right? That it, you learned more. Like there, there's bigger island, bigger shoreline, more ignorance. And he's saying, like, it's not even about just growing really smart and growing really wise. There's more to it than just stockpiling information. So what is it? He says, wisdom is useful. Okay? In, in chapter 2, verse 12. He says, 
Then I turned to consider wisdom, madness, and folly for what will the king's successor be like. He will do what has already been done. And I realized that there is an advantage to wisdom over folly, like the advantage of light over darkness. The person has eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. Yet I also knew that one fate comes to them both. And so I said to myself, what happens to the fool will also happen to me. Why have I been overly wise? And I said to myself, this is also futile. And yet, at the same time, he says, well, do you want to walk in the light or in the dark? I don't know anyone who thinks that's a hard decision. Right? Like, do you want to drive in the dark with your headlights on or with them off? Well, depends if you want to crash. Or do you want to arrive? Right? Turn the lights on. Pursue wisdom. It's not going to fix everything in your life. But you'll be able to see. And finally, he talks about the gifts of wisdom, knowledge, and joy. And here's where I want to sit. He says, There is nothing better for a person than to eat and drink and enjoy his work. And I have seen that even this is from God's hand. Because who can eat and who can enjoy life apart from him? For to the person who is pleasing in his sight, he gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and accumulating in order to give to the one who is pleasing in God's sight. This too is futile in the pursuit of the wind. And so he says there's nothing better for a person than to eat, drink, and enjoy his work. I've seen that this is a gift from God's hand. Did you notice this? Every time that Solomon talks about himself, he concludes it's meaningless. It's meaningless. It's empty. It's hebel. But when he stops talking about himself, and starts talking about the Lord, he says, no, this has some meaning. This, this is something. All this other stuff, this is nothing. But when he turns his eyes to the Lord, he says, this is something. I worked for myself. I worked for myself. I worked for myself. Empty. But the gift of God... To eat, drink, and enjoy his work. To the person who is pleasing in his sight, he gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and accumulating in order to give to the one who is pleasing in God's sight. It just says, do you want to live for the gift of God or for toil? Just toil and toil and toil. And toil is this really interesting word. It's also fun to say, like, really fast, right? Just toil. Like, toil and work. Like, what, what's the difference? Here's the difference. That work existed in the garden 
before the fall. Work is not a curse. Work is a gift from God. Toil is another story. Right? Toil is the thorns that grew. Toil is the sweat on your brow. Toil is the frustrating work of trying to grow a crop in a dry and weary land where there is no water. That is toil. And so do we pursue work as a gift of God or do we live in the land of toil? And ultimately it drives home this question of are we this man curved in on himself or are we humbled before the Lord? So take time this weekend to reflect on how you're living and who you're living for. Are you curved in on yourself or have you been broken? Have you come to the end of yourself to see your need for a savior, your need for fulfillment in ways that you cannot earn? And have you seen that, fulfill, that fullness is a gift of God through Jesus Christ who poured out himself on the cross to redeem this broken, fallen world, to turn the gift that this sinful, broken world that turned the gift of work and worship into this curved-in existence that just always sees me, 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 me. And where the redemption of Jesus Christ starts to push that curvedness out that we might see others because we see the Lord. And so, what are you living for? How much of your identity is wrapped up in your pursuit of work, in what you do, in what you've accomplished, in fun, in pleasure? And how much is your life satisfied in Christ? Like, are, are you satisfied in God? Is the good news good news? Or is it kind of just there? Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would work in us this, this week. Lord, that we would not be curved in on ourselves. Lord, but that we would be brought low in worship. And that we would reach out in service to others. Lord, help us to see ourselves with clear eyes this weekend. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.